We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From the Clark Ford Studio in Oxford, Mississippi, MBW Digital proudly presents the Oxford Exxon Podcast. I'd say thanks for tuning in. But why am I going to give you a round of applause for something you're supposed to do, to be frank? And now, here are your hosts, Chase Parm. And broadcast school has really paid off. And Neil McCready. I deserve to be on TV. Another edition of Hand Raised Guys, presented by Comer Heating and Air, Southern Air Conditioning and Heating. I'm Neil McCready. Today on the show, I'm joined by Michael Bratton, host of That SEC Podcast. We'll talk a lot about the upcoming Southeastern Conference football season, and he's got quite the hot take about one of Ole Miss's SEC West rivals. I don't think you'll want to miss it. But first, let me tell you about Comer and Southern. They've got different names, but they offer the same people, the same great products, the same great services. If you live in Oxford, Batesville, or the surrounding area, call Comer, 662-801-1777. If you live in Hernando, Memphis, or the surrounding area, call Southern, 662-429-4429. It's hot. If you have AC problems, you're going to want it fixed fast. And that's where the service comes in from Comer and Southern. They're absolutely fantastic. And please make sure when you get in touch with them that you tell them that you heard about them here on uh, MPW Digital on the podcast. Uh, this will be the Friday Oxford Exxon podcast, Oxford Exxon Highway 6 West in Oxford. Great place if you're coming in or out of town to stop and fill up your vehicle and also fill yourself up. Uh, they got ribs for the weekend, both uh, wet and dry. Uh, always a great beer selection. Uh, everything inside, always clean, always convenient, always great service. Plate lunches during the week as well at the Oxford Exxon Highway 6 West in Oxford. I'm coming to you from the Clark Ford Studios. Give my friend Corey Clark a call, 662-257-1900 there in Amory, Mississippi. And he'll give you a quote on uh, the Ford product that you're interested in. It's right to the bottom line. There's no hassle. There's no haggle. You get to quote. And the rest is completely up to you. You can shop that quote around or uh, you can do what I've done, and that's hop into a Clark Ford today. Again, 662-257-1900. Michael Bratton and all guests join on the MyPerfectFranchise.net hotline. If you're a displaced corporate executive wanting to put your career in your own hands, you're an experienced entrepreneur looking to diversify, Andy Ludeke can help. He owns multiple franchises and businesses and uses his expertise to help others find their American dream through a very thorough and free consultation process. So call Andy. Put your life and your career in your own hands. It's 100% free. you got nothing to lose. Find your perfect franchise at MyPerfectFranchise.net or contact Andy anytime at Andy at MyPerfectFranchise.net or 404 
973-973-9901. We're also brought to you by BetterHelp. It can be tough to train your brain to stay in problem-solving mode when faced with the challenge in life. But when you learn how to find your own solutions, there's no better feeling. A therapist can help you become a better problem solver, making it easier to accomplish your goals, no matter how big or small. I've used therapy. It's a way to handle stress, clear negative thoughts, mentally relax a little. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, it's accessible, affordable, and it's entirely online. Get matched with a therapist after filling out a brief survey. Switch therapist anytime. When you want to be a better problem solver, therapy can get you there. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MPW today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash MPW. Our next partner is Athletic Greens. I take AG1 by Athletic Greens literally every day. I gave AG1 a try because I wanted better gut health, sustained energy, immune system support, and I hate taking pills. I take AG1 every afternoon to break my fast. I love knowing I'm doing something good for my body, giving my body the nutrition it craves, covering my nutritional bases. Covering my nutritional bases for the day literally couldn't be easier, which is why I trust Athletic Greens. Just one scoop of AG1 with water, and you're done. I also like that it costs less than $3 a day. It's pretty good if you ask me. It's a really effective daily habit with the highest quality sourced ingredients. If a comprehensive solution is what you need for your supplement routine, then Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Just go to athleticgreens.com slash MPW. That's athleticgreens.com slash MPW. Check it out. Now here is Michael Bratton of That SEC Podcast. Michael Bratton of That SEC Podcast, uh, kind enough to spend some time with us here on this Thursday night as we're taping it Friday morning as you're listening to it. Michael, how are you? Hey, doing great, Neil. Really appreciate you uh, having me on. Big fan for a long time. And, uh, you know, anytime I get to come on a show that I actively listen to, it's always a treat for me. So uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Well, the the pleasure is mutual, so I really appreciate that you saying that. That's very kind. Um, I'll get to some stuff in football season. I'll get big picture things out of the way first. Um, there's all sorts of talk about NIL and what I, I refuse to call it that. I'm, I'm working on refusing to call it that. I, I, I'm trying to call it what it is. I'm, 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 it's like walking outside and the sky is blue and you, you say the sky is gray. It's not. It's blue. Just call it blue. It's pay for play. It's salary. Uh, it's going to be a big talk. They're, the SEC... People had their SEC on Capitol Hill thing recently, and they're talking about needing regulation and all of that stuff. I get that they need it. I get that they want it. Do you share my opinion that Congress is probably not going to take this on the way that the SEC wants it to? The fact that they are essentially throwing a Hail Mary to Congress lets you know where they're at, where they I mean, they are out of options. They have no options. They have no good options, I guess I should say. And, you know, honestly, Neil, I mean, when people start talking about this subject, I just gloss over and I'm just, I'm ready for the next thing to yep. go on because this is, this is the way it is now. And the NCAA, college athletics, they've had about a hundred years to get this resolved. And realistically, they've, they've had more about 20, 25 years yeah, I was in middle school when I found out that the NCAA was making $1 billion a year to annually televise the basketball tournament. 
And I sat here saying a billion dollars and it's gone up since then. And with these TV rights deals and these coaches making all this money and it costs a family, you know, an, an enormous amount to go to these games, to get, to, to pay for parking, concessions, merchandise. I mean, this is, it's pro sports is what it is. So this was going to happen eventually. And if we want to not pay the players, let's scale back what we pay the coaches, what tickets cost, what TV revenue, what they get paid for that, on and on and on. When we resolve all those issues, yes, let's go back to not paying the players. But you just can't have a multi-billion dollar business and that money not get filtered down through all aspects of it. With this talked about as much as it is, do you anticipate fans getting a little burned out on it? Or is it still that deal when football season rolls around, people get excited and they just sort of forget it and go on with it? You know, I never... One time that I hear someone, when we were watching Bryce Young go bananas last year, did I hear anyone say, well, you know how much he's making? You know what I mean? Like, that was, it's never uh, a topic of discussion while the season is going. So, no, I I don't think it's that big of a deal. And I think the fact that uh, Nick Saban has been kind of against it, Kirby Smart in spurts has been against it. There has always been NIL. They just called it something different back in. Yeah. And now it's it's across the board. And heck, uh, you know, I've heard Lane Kiffin kind of complain about it as well. I think his complaints is more about, you know, Judkins getting recruited, even though he's not even entered the, the transfer portal. But I also remember Kiffin saying, hey, thanks for all those Auburn rumors, because now we got NIL money to spend. So it's like, you can't have it both ways. And I, I really like the fact that... Uh, I think NIL, while it's not going to be even across the board, college football has never been even across the board. Just look around the SEC, Tennessee, Arkansas, Ole Miss, LSU, on and on and on. These programs have been helped tremendously by NIL, and I think it has somewhat uh, leveled the playing field. Without NIL, I don't think Josh Heupel's team wins 11 games last year. I can tell you that for sure. I love your setup. It makes me think about a couple of things. I see the Texas helmet. I see the Oklahoma helmet, which means we got one last year of kind of what I call nostalgia, the way we've kind of gotten used to it for a while and the the two divisions and they'll meet in Atlanta and all that stuff. It's the change that's coming a year from now is off the charts. Like We're going to go to the SEC media days in your town, Nashville, in about a month. Um, there are rumblings about next year being in Dallas or whatever. I don't know where it's going to be, but Texas and Oklahoma are going to be at media days a year from now. It's going to be this one of the big stories, the 12-team playoff, all that kind of stuff. Is this are we are we going to kind of this season go through the year going, oh, this is kind of this is kind of nostalgic? Yeah, I think so because uh, you know, for a lot of programs, and I'm thinking AM and I think Ole Miss. I can throw into this boat, Kentucky and, and maybe Vanderbilt. I think those are the only four that have never won a division title. Yep. Uh, so, hey, this is your final shot right here. You yeah. know. So I think there's something to be said for that. I think there is something to be said for the last time you're going to have this schedule that you do have. But I, I think that's a great thing because I'm the biggest SEC homer there is, but the scheduling is just a train wreck. And it's – I mean – Georgia and A&M may as well not even be in the same conference the way it's structured. Now it's, it's ridiculous in my opinion. I'm with you completely. So let's, let's go here though, because you're right. uh We're doing this eight game thing next year, which I think is a, I, I, I get the argument. I'm about the fans. 
you're like you said, you're asking people to pay more money. Right. You're asking people, hey, also uh, contribute to collectives or whatever. You're right. asking a lot, and then you're like, oh, and by the way, we're not going to give you that ninth game. That we're not going to give you the the extra game that that we kind of talked about. Do you think that's just a bargaining thing from the SEC, or do you think that the whole "Hey, we 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 have to stay at eight from a playoff standpoint" is going to ultimately win out over time? Because all they've committed to Michael's one year, right? Well, it's interesting, Neil, because I I said that about a week before the Destin meetings, and people jumped on me that they were going to stay at eight, but just everyone I talked to, I I didn't talk to a single person that was convinced that they were moving to nine. So. You know, I kind of saw where this was going a little bit ahead of time, but yeah, I mean, money is is ultimately the biggest factor, but I've kind of gone both ways on this because I I am firmly in the nine camp, at least I was, and it's because of these rivalry games. You know, how stupid is it going to be if Texas and Texas A&M are in the same conference finally, once again, and they don't play each other? Uh, Alabama... Tennessee, Georgia, Auburn, we can go all, you know, those are the big ones, but there's others that we want to maintain and get into a nine game schedule gets you there. But also I've kind of been swung. I don't know if you know, Dave Barr too, CFB matrix, but he's kind of swung me back to eight in a sense, because it, it really depends on what you, where your priorities are. And, and personally, my priorities are not the college football playoff. I cannot stand in the preseason when everybody's got to you know, unveil their four and we got to talk about the playoff the entire season because I, I think what that does is that diminishes. You know, th- there has not been one Egg Bowl that has had playoff imp- imp- uh, you know, uh, ramifications. Not that I can think of. Maybe 2014 had had some, but I don't believe it did. Not playoff. It had some. It had some um, access bowl ramifications, but it didn't have. Right. The wasn't going to the playoff, right? But my point is, does that diminish the Egg Bowl? In my mind, no. In my mind, the Egg Bowl, that's probably my favorite annual game in the SEC. That's why I love college football, because I love the hatred. I love the in-state fighting. I love uh, 364 days of talking and bad-mouthing, and then once a year we get to meet on the field, and it means everything to that state. That's why college football, in my mind, is great. That's kind of why I like the nine-game model, so that we can have more of these games. And I realize even in an eight, even if they only played one conference game, they're still going to play the Egg Bowl. But point being is I favor those games, so I favor a nine. But as Bartu explained to me, and he talks, you know, he gets paid by some of these SEC schools to, uh, to, to advise them. Staying at eight makes a ton of sense for the playoff. And more specifically, to to have more entertaining games, because if Alabama and LSU meet and they're, you know, 10 and 0 apiece, that game just seems like the biggest game in the world. The more we throw on losses onto the schedule, each team in the SEC, not only do they is, is it tougher for them to reach the playoff, but their resumes take a big shot. And the playoff committee does not look at, did you play eight? Did you play nine? What they look at is how many top 25 victories do you have? How many wins do you have over teams that have won seven or more games? And that is all going to be downgraded in a nine-game model. So to me, it really just comes down to what is the priority? Does the SEC want to have more teams in the playoff? Because a lot of fans, 
it's unfortunate in my mind, but that's all they focus on is the playoff, the playoff, the playoff. And we're just going to do more of that when there's 12 team playoff or do the favor rivalries in the regular season, which I do. So, I mean, you win either way, but uh, I don't know. I I kind of rambling here. I hope I answered your question. You did. I, I I just, the, the, the idea of like, We'll use Ole Miss as an example, since the ninety-something percent of the people that are watching this right now are, are, are Ole Miss fans. Probably, the idea of the Ole Miss LSU game not happening, and maybe they work the schedules out where they do. But if they work the schedule out where all of these games consistently happen, that means like Ole Miss might play Texas once every six years or whatever. And then, then like you said, you're not even really in the same conference at that point. I mean, you're, if you if you never play that team, or if you never go to Austin, or you never go to Norman, or you never go to Athens, or uh, Columbia, South Carolina. Are you really in the same conference with those teams? I mean, I guess you are technically, but you know what I mean. You're not. It doesn't feel like it. There's no rivalry there. It's just a novelty. Oh, this is the year that we play South Carolina. Right. We won't do it again for six years. So I guess you know that. That's not really what rivalries and stuff are built on. You know, the if you had the nine game where you played every team, every team in the league twice at least every four years well you can build some stuff up that way you can build traditions and rivalries and things that make college football fun frankly um right you, and you, i think they can still that. do that though in an eight game model it would just they'd only you'd only have one permanent you rotate the other seven but yeah. that is a must because a, a perfect example Ole Miss and Tennessee don't play that often but man i was in that i was in Neyland Stadium last time Ole Miss yeah. came through and believe me, every other year, Ole Miss and Tennessee play as long as Lane Kiffin is there. That is going to make for one hell of a football game. And uh, it, it's it's like a travesty that they're SEC opponents and they never play. So we've got to do that. I mean, new rivalries will be formed. Yeah, Maybe we don't call them rivalries, but just new uh, biannual games that everyone's going to be looking forward to. And, and Ole Miss, Tennessee is right near the top of my list. That was, a, that was a hell of an environment. All right, let's talk. Uh, let's talk SEC West since Ole Miss is trying to get to Atlanta. Get one last shot to do it the tr- the traditional way. Um, I look at the West, Michael, and I know that we all by default just go Bama because they've dominated it for fifteen years. But it's a part of me this year that I mean I, I haven't I haven't declared my vote yet. But I think if I voted today, I'd put LSU number one in the West. They're just sort of the team that attracts my attention and I look at Alabama and I know they have talent everywhere, but they don't have Bryce Young. They don't have anything resembling Bryce Young at quarterback. And what sticks out in my mind from a year ago was the game in Oxford in November. Ole Miss was eight and one at the time. Alabama came to town and had Bryce Young not been Alabama's quarterback. Had they literally had any other, well, outside of maybe Caleb Williams, had they been anybody else at quarterback, even some good quarterbacks, Ole Miss wins that game. Bryce Young won that game for Alabama. And Bryce Young won several games last year for Alabama. He was a difference. Alabama didn't blow people out all year long. Alabama didn't blow out Texas. Alabama didn't blow out Texas A&M. Alabama didn't blow out Arkansas. Alabama didn't blow out Ole Miss. Alabama didn't blow people out last year. Those were close games, and a lot of times close games that Bryce Young won. Right, and you're a smart guy, Neil, for liking LSU because that's who I like as well. But, uh, you know, here's the secret. I don't know 
people just think I'm a hater. Uh, no, I have been known to troll from time to time. But it's clear as day to me that Nick Saban, he's the greatest of all time in my I don't even think sure. that's debatable at sure. this point. But he has lost a step. And when I say that, there's two reasons. The defense is not nearly as dominant as they've been, and they've not been for many seasons. The, when it really crystallized for me is when Clemson put up, what was it, 45, 48 points in a national championship game. Uh, you know, they don't slow down good offenses. Partic- if, they get, if, you, if they're facing a good quarterback, they can't slow him down either. So uh, that has really triggered something in me, and we see this time after time after time. And secondly, Alabama has just been so dependent on two things, and that's having great quarterbacks, which credit them for, for getting them on campus, Absolutely. but also outstanding play calling on the offensive side, which, again, is not Saban's forte. And as soon as we saw what that program is with Bill O'Brien, you know, it's with the best quarterback in the game, in my opinion, it's still they, – they did not stack up to Georgia. Hell, they, they lost to Tennessee, lost to LSU – Probably should have lost to A&M if not for god-awful Jimbo Fisher's play calling there on the goal line. Uh, Texas, their quarterback went down. They could have lost that game had Ewers not gotten hurt. I mean, this is troubling. And this is multiple years in a row where they do not play well on the road. There's turn, there's a, there's a, I mean, they're, they're shattering Alabama records for penalties in a game and they're doing it multiple times a season. Alabama still one of the best, but not the juggernaut that they were. Yeah, I'll go one further. If you go back and look at the part of the season last year when Bryce Young got hurt and was out, and they had average play calling and a different kind of quarterback, when Bryce Young went down, it was in Fayetteville, it was second quarter, if I recall correctly, I had just covered Ole Miss. I'd covered Ole Miss Kentucky that day. A great game. And when I got back up to the press box to write, the TVs had changed to the Alabama-Arkansas game involved Hemingway, and it was a blowout. Alabama was blowing Arkansas off the field. I want to say like 28 to nothing or 28 to 7 or something. So I looked up, saw that, and I'm like, well, that's not close. And I sat down and started writing, trying to get done. And got into what I was writing, filed, published, looked back up, and the game is significantly closer. I don't remember the exact score, but I think Arkansas had pulled to within a score and Alabama was facing a third and long or something. Bryce Young had been knocked out of the game. And Milrow makes a big play and they end up winning that game. But the point was, without Bryce Young, the game at Arkansas got squirrely. With, without Bryce Young, the Texas A&M game was, like you said, I mean, it was a Jimbo Fisher stupid play call away from a loss. And it was a game that they probably should have lost. They they needed Bryce Young to win games against I mean it was an Arkansas team that went six and six. That was an AM team that went five and seven. Those were not the crust of the SEC. And without Bryce Young, Alabama struggled in those games. I, I'm just not only am I fairly sure I'm not picking them first, I'm not sure I'm picking them second. There are three teams in the SEC West that in different ways have my attention. One is is Ole Miss because of what they have coming back on offense uh, with with um, 
Judkins and Dart and experienced offensive line. They got some question marks at wide receiver, but everybody's got question marks somewhere. Um, I can't believe I'm going to say this out loud, but every year I feel like I sort of drink the Texas A&M Kool-Aid a little bit, then I get exposed <laughs> and I have to apologize for it. But they're a really talented team on paper. They've recruited at a really high level. And then in some ways, and I'll get killed for this too, in some ways, Arkansas reminds me of Ole Miss a little bit. There's a lot of a lot of uh, production coming back on offense, a big-time running back, um, a, good, a, a good front. And then like Ole Miss, they really are dependent on a bunch of transfer portal guys on the defensive side of the ball. And, you know, maybe that works. Maybe it doesn't. But if it does work, at Ole Miss and or Arkansas, those are teams that have a chance to be really good. Yeah, if only uh, if only Texas A&M. They, I love the talent. I love the coaching staff minus Everyone. the head coach. Uh, if they could just get around their head coach, I mean, <laughs> they legitimately could win the national championship. I mean, they're they are that caliber of a roster. Now, I I have more confidence to them finishing in the in the bottom half of the SEC West than I do the top but but that's just because they're a complete you know could go either way I mean Bobby Petrino coming back I think that was a stroke of genius I, I really do because that'll take the play calling away from Jimbo let Bobby not have to worry about recruiting and NIL and all this just just call plays coach up our quarterbacks Jimbo Fisher for the life I mean he he gets touted as this quarterback guru since uh, Jameis Winston. He's not had a good quarterback since, and and that was nearly a decade ago. So, um, I mean that that could be the move that that puts A and M over the top. I just I got no confidence in it w- one way or another because I mean I don't even know if Petrino will be there by the time the season starts. You know, I mean he could be fired for for God knows what, but uh, that's kind of the biggest mystery team i think in the entire sec is texas a&m yeah i agree completely i i'm mad at myself as we talk about this right now i'm i'm i I do this every year i'm like man you look at that roster and there's just so much talent on it and there is Mm -hmm. it's so talented they've got athletes just at every position i like the quarterback weigman i liked what i saw from him a year ago at times now he wasn't great you saw him do some things where you're like, oh, that kid's got a lot of potential. And the criticism is always about Jimbo and his play calling, which is legit. But nobody nobody can criticize Bobby Petrino as a play caller. I mean, he is an elite play caller. He's he's an elite offensive mind, much the same way kind of Kiffin is as a, as a play caller. I mean, those are people that are at the absolute top percent of play callers in all of football. Mm-hmm. And I don't, the thing I know about Petrino is that if Jimbo doesn't let him call the plays, he's going to leave. Yep, He's just going to walk away, at which point Jimbo gets exposed and A&M boosters go, okay, well, that's it. We'll eat the money if this doesn't work out. And I don't think that's what Jimbo wants. So in some ways, even though Jimbo's the head guy and he's got the 70 million dollar buyout stuck to him, if he wants to be the coach there, he almost has to let Bobby Petrino be the offensive coordinator. Yeah, and worst case scenario, if they do struggle, and again, I don't know how realistic it is to fire him with that buyout and all that, but you could do a heck of a lot worse as an interim coach than Bobby Petrino. I mean, imagine if they drop you know, the Miami game, it's week two, and maybe they drop one more, they fire Jimbo, and then they don't lose another game. 
I mean, you almost have to give Bobby Petrito the full-time head coaching job. Don't you? I mean, I, I think that's got to be in Bobby's, in the back of his mind. It's, from what I understand, he's dying to be a head coach at a high level. Once again, that's why he took his job. I'm not saying it was specifically to to overtake Jimbo, but uh, you know, if a- A&M does well, he's going to have his opportunities, I have to imagine, this offseason. I would think but so. It, it's interesting, Neil, the two teams you didn't hit on, Auburn and Mississippi State, I would agree with you. I, I, I'm more confident that they'll be the bottom two of the West next season, but it wouldn't stun me if they're not. Uh, I mean, Mississippi State seems to annually exceed expectations. I love Mike Leach. I honor Mike Leach with uh, his book here, front and center of, of, of my studio. So this, I'm not trying to disperse him or anything, but I th- think it's fair to say his offense was not all it was cracked up to be at Mississippi State. And we're bringing in Kevin Barbet, who led Appalachian State offense. They upset A&M last year. So this guy, and from all accounts, he's going to bring explosiveness to this offense. I think he was top 25 most explosive passing attack in the country, pushing the ball down the field, something that we did not see from Mike Leach. Zach Arnett, I think he's a great defensive coordinator, complete unknown as a head coach. So, again, I've I'm fairly confident to say they'll be at the bottom, but again, they they bring back Will Rogers. They bring back a lot on offense, mm-hmm. and and I got so much faith in that defensive staff. Wouldn't surprise me if they overachieve. And then I'm not telling your audience anything they don't know, but Hugh Freeze, you know he's capable of pulling an upset or two. We all remember the Alabama wins. For some reason, everybody forgets the Vanderbilt losses. So it's like. He can surprise you. He can disappoint you. I mean, he'll be inconsistent, but I think he has done a masterful job in his first offseason of reloading that roster via the transfer portal. They're essentially going to have an entire new starting offensive unit aside from the running back that they got out of the portal. So how will that work? I'm not convinced that, you know, the SEC West is a, is a rough, rough place to, to get your footing. But if they find their footing, the last four or five games, aside from the Iron Bowl, very winnable. So Auburn, they could struggle out the gate, but I think they could catch fire at the tail end of the season, if that makes sense. Yeah, look, I've said this many times. Um, The job that Hugh Freeze did in year one at Ole Miss was one of the very best coaching jobs I've ever seen. It was was an elite coaching job. They they inherited a team that had gone 2-10 in 2011 that had – a myriad of off-the-field problems, just had no culture to speak of. It wasn't a culture problem. There was just no culture. It was over. I mean, it was, it was just a soulless football team. And the job that he did in year one, going seven and six and winning what is now the Birmingham Bowl and uh, playing teams close and, and, and team played with a, a hell of a lot of heart and there was a ton of culture and he got buy-in and, uh, you know, he was a really good football coach. He, he is. He, I think he read too many of his headlines here. Um, it got to his head. He made enemies. He made enemies in bad places to make enemies. And stuff got him, and <clears throat> he's paid for it. Paid for it here. He paid for it for several years, and he, he gets an opportunity at Auburn, and I don't doubt that he will do well. I, I don't know that, and you referenced this, I don't know that Auburn, given how much they have to improve, in a division where nobody sucks. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the one thing about the whole division from 
Alabama to Arkansas to Auburn to to LSU to Ole Miss to Mississippi State to Texas A&M, nobody sucks. Nobody's mm-hmm. bad. And so if nobody's bad, it's just so hard to get wins that I don't know that they can make that type of a leap where they're a contender. But if you told me that Auburn wins a game this year that nobody thinks they'll win, I'd say, yeah, it's Hugh Freeze's teams. Now, the, as you referenced, the flip side of that is his teams typically lose a game that no one thinks they'll lose. His Liberty team went to ULM and lost. You know what I mean? I mean, they, his Ole Miss team, he had an Ole Miss team that beat Alabama um, and lost to Memphis. Yep. You know what I mean? I mean, went to Alabama and won, lost to Memphis. <laughs> so, I mean, his teams are – he's he's an emotional coach. An, an emotional coach is you ride the wave. and mm-hmm. But, yeah, no, he's he's good. He's he, it, It's a league full of really good teams and good coaches, and he's he fits in it. He, he would have had this opportunity before had the thing at Ole Miss not gotten as nasty as it did. So mm-hmm. yeah, he's he he's going to do well. Let, let's talk about Ole Miss for a minute. I want to get your thoughts on them. Um, obviously they bring a lot back offensively, bringing in new receivers that are sort of unproven at this level. Trey Harris was an elite receiver at at Louisiana Tech. They've brought in uh, Zachary Franklin from from FAU. I mean, I'm not FAU, but they've, there's so many guys that I get confused as to where they all came from. Uh, <laughs> From <laughs> one of the conference facilities, we can't, we can't, we can't even say Chris Marshall anymore. <laughs> can't say, uh, and Marshall was their best receiver in the spring, right. so they, they they're unproven at receiver um, at this level. But they've got probably the best running back in the country. Certainly one of the best two or three running backs in the country. Mm-hmm. Whether it's Jackson Dart or Spencer Sanders, they have a proven quarterback. They have depth at that position. A good up front, Micah Pettis is an underrated offensive lineman that people will start talking about more and more. Jeremy James is back for his another season. They're good up front. They're solid. Uh, a lot of unproven guys on defense. 14 transfer portal additions on defense. Pete Golding, a new defensive coordinator. Just kind of what are your thoughts and expectations for Ole Miss going into the fall? Well, I think I've uh, you had me on about this time last year, Neil, and we talked about Ole Miss, and I'll say the same thing I said then. They are the toughest team, in my opinion, to get a read on, and and I always seem to be wrong about them, and it's because of the transfer portal and because they got so many guys coming and going and the changes at uh, coordinator now on the defensive side yet again. It's it's just it's almost impossible to accurately predict but they exceed expectations nearly every season. And they would have done it last year had they been able to close a little bit I'm gonna, stronger. I'm going to correct myself. Uh, Zachary Franklin was UTSA, not one of the Florida schools. See, it, it just in my mind, I was doing, <laughs> I was looking for initials. My bad. Yeah. Continue on. But I will say this, Neil, that um, in all my time covering the SEC, I don't think there's a coach – that is more willing to adapt to his personnel and does a better job of that than Lane Kiffin. And the perfect example I can give you, um, I, I may get my, my years mixed up here, but I think it was 2014 Alabama. They had Blake Sims, who was a running back before he was a quarterback. I mean, he was not a great passer, obviously, but they had this guy named Amari Cooper, and they decided let's throw him the ball 120 times, and it worked to perfection. And then the next – very next year at Alabama, they said, well, we don't got Amari Cooper, but we got this beast called Derrick Henry, and they just rode him. So, I mean, 
no one adapts to his personnel better and, and maximizes those pieces better than Lane Kiffin. So, yeah, I mean, I am hearing from many people it's incredibly hard for a running back to win the Heisman. And I'm not sitting here saying Judkins will, but I keep hearing buzz that he that he is legitimately that good to where, you know, he's not a, obviously not a kick returner and things of that nature, but he could put up the kind of stats. And if Ole Miss has a big year, you've got to keep your eye on Judkins to win the Heisman. Uh, I've heard the same things that uh, your entire audience has heard about Jackson Dart in the spring. Just it seems to have you know, the, the light, so to speak, has come on. He's committed himself to being a better player. And I don't think he was a bad player last year. I just think, you know, he, he got hurt and it felt, you know, the wheels kind of fell off there. He, he would make three or four incredible throws and then he'd make one. You're like, what the hell is he thinking? What's he seeing there? Eliminate those plays. And apparently he only threw like one or two interceptions in the entire spring. Uh, if he can take that next step, I think, you know, we Lane Kiffin, that's another thing we got to credit him for. I mean, he gets the most out of these quarterbacks. I, I didn't quite believe he got that last year, but I, I think I was just the, the, you know, the hand they were dealt there. But all they need, they need Pete Golding here to make this defense average <laughs> because with the offense they have, they're going to be very good if they have an average defense. We just can't be god-awful on defense like we have been, and say what you want about Pete Golding, Alabama fans, glad to to see him gone, but again. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Are we really going to believe that uh, he, you know this wasn't Nick Saban's defense and that Nick Saban was was the one with the ultimate authority, or are we to believe that this young coach from he also I believe they hired him from UTSA yeah. was running the Alabama defense and, and Nick Saban was just you know had his his back turned to the play or something stupid like that? No, I I think 
again, I mean, I don't think he did a great job for Alabama, but he didn't do a horrible job either. And I think he is significantly more qualified than the previous defensive staff that Lane Kiffin had. So, again, we just got to be an average defense. We've got some nice pieces that we can get that done. And there's no reason that if all this clicks together that Ole Miss can't win nine, ten ball games. Unfortunately for them, they catch Georgia out of the East this year. Uh, I mean, that that's just that's death to anybody that gets Georgia this year. One of the things I'm interested in with Ole Miss is, and it, it's something that there's no way to answer it until midway through the season, if then, is, you know, Lane talked last year a lot about chemistry, culture. It was very clear that he was talking about it a lot because it was a concern on his part. And yet last year, because the schedule was was kind of backloaded, the only real challenging game in the first half of the season was Kentucky. Ole Miss survived it, won it. They ended up 7-0, and and so it kind of felt like they were really rolling, and yet turns out they probably had some culture issues because they, they, they lose big at LSU in the second half, come back, they, they hold off Texas A&M and College Station, get the win, then everything went downhill from there. They lost to, you know, to Alabama, they didn't recover from that, they lost to Arkansas, they lost the Egg Bowl, they lost to Texas Tech in the bowl game, and you started hearing a lot of rumblings about kind of culture stuff and things of that nature. And when you bring in this many transfer portal guys, culture's a harder thing to build just because there's so many people from so many places. Lane talking, not me. And the front part of the schedule this year is harder. A, a trip to Tulane, then I think they'll be fine, but Tulane's a good team. They've got Alabama early in the season. They've got LSU early in the season. Um, they got Arkansas at the end of the front half. Then they get a break, and then they go into the second half. But what, what happens if... They lose a couple of those games. Say they lose to you know to Alabama and LSU. That's not it's not a reach. That they lose to Alabama and LSU and they're four and two at the turn. You know what do they do? They have enough team chemistry and culture to go into the second half of the season and go on a run or having a couple of losses where hey getting to Atlanta is not realistic right now. Do you lose a little bit of that? That's that's what I'm interested to see. And I'm not predicting that it will go down that way, but. What if it did is kind of what I'm, I wonder about. Mm. Well, to your point, though, Neil, I remember when he first got there, of course, that was, I mean, the COVID year is such an outlier. It's kind of hard to take anything from that. But I do remember specifically going into camp. He's like, I don't even know most of these guys' names because they, they don't allow us access and we can't do this. We can't do that. So I was sitting here thinking, by God, I mean, Ole Miss, they're not going to win a game. This, this sounds awful. And then. I mean, they came out lights out on offense. I mean, they weren't necessarily winning all those games, but that was the game where I believe they caught Florida right out the gate, and that was the best Dan Mullen-led Florida team ever. Uh, That was the game where they went back and forth and back and forth with Alabama, which uh, won, of course, the national championship, went undefeated. So, yeah, I mean, I try not to read too much into lanes. Again, that goes back to what I was saying. Lane Kiffin, I th- I think he's a little bit of a poker player too. So uh, I-, I think he chooses what he says very closely, and and that's evident when you see the the pressers he does with guys like you, and then he'll go on Paul Feinbaum or Pardon My Take or whatever, and he's, he seems like personality is completely different. So because uh, he hates he's Lee. a hard he hates despises us i mean he, he hates us it's, it's one of those things too man the whole media thing it, 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 i get this question all the time like 
I bet covering Lane is really fun. I'm like, covering Lane could be really fun. It's <laughs> it's the the guys on the beat, bless them. They don't they, they mean no harm. They are determined to ask um personnel questions. Mm-hmm. He hates them. <laughs> and so what happens is you get and as beat writers, we have to ask some of those questions. They they have to be asked. And I get it. But sometimes it's just like, okay, you can tell he's not in the mood to do this today. Right. So don't ask him about, hey, how you're using the tight end or what's going on with the defensive stunt or something. You're not going to get that. You're going to, he's going to go into his shell and it's over. It's wiped out. And so then you have days when you ask a big picture question and you get a big picture answer and you can tell, hey, he's engaged. And then it's like, okay, well, Maybe now one of you cats can slip something in and, and get a little bit, but he he is different, right? He goes on with Paul or, or someone like that, and, and and he turns it on. And it's not just that he turns it on. It's just that the conversation is more interesting to him. Mm-hmm. And so that's the challenge of covering Lane is you, you've, you've got to ask some interesting questions. You've got to ask some relationship questions like, hey, you know, not just his relationship with Saban, which is, played out but he'll talk about the Jimbo thing you just gotta ask you gotta stay on it you know and you know you can ask questions about previous games and things and stuff like that and he'll he'll talk about that but it's it's hard on a beat where the people are passing the microphone around and and you've got people that are determined to ask those kind of tedious questions and you just lose yeah. him and then so you know he sends, spends his press conference talking like this he's kind of looking around and his nails and yeah i don't i don't know about that and then you know 10 minutes later you hear him on dan patrick and he's animated and it's like God, he hates us i i, I understand it really i mean i, I do but yeah he, he he's an interesting cat um but he he'll also tell you the truth and so when he talks about culture and stuff like that he's not just those are not just buzzwords he wonders about it and you know, you you go around the league and you listen to coaches that are talking about how much they use the portal, how much they don't use the portal. I have some coaching friends that I talk to who they just don't really like depending on it for that reason. They they they're like, I I'm not criticizing it because obviously Lane's won, right? I mean, he went ten and two, then he went eight and four. He's winning. Eighteen wins in two years at Ole Miss is is, is strong. Mm-hmm. So he's using the portal well. But there are just coaches that look at it and go, man, it's it's a recipe for disaster. It's like the old days of being heavy, heavily dependent on JUCOs. They mm-hmm. just come into your program. They're not super invested. And if things don't go well out of the gate, they just sort of quit on you. And I think that's that's what I'm I'm interested to see. But listen, Ole Miss is not the only program. I'm looking at all your helmets up there. Auburn went heavy on the portal. Arkansas went heavy on the portal. Um, Kentucky went heavy into the portal. There's a bunch of Tennessee, as you mentioned, was was in the portal a lot. I mean, there, there's a lot of teams in the portal that the whole culture building thing is is very real. It's a real concern for a, Lane Kiffin's not the only coach that puts his head on the pillow at night and wonders, hey, is this going to work? Yeah, and you know, Neil, I mean, we just live in a world, and these coaches are no different. Where you know, sometimes what's new scares you, and if there's not data to back up yeah. you know you could build your roster by taking x amount of transfers and but you got to have x amount of high school guy i mean this is all new so 
there is no hard evidence that what he's doing is going to work. But I would argue that, again, not saying anything, this is not revelations or anything, but they are in the toughest division in college football, in the toughest conference. They're, they're recruiting and playing against the elite of the elite, and they're just not going to win many head-to-head recruiting battles consistently over Alabama, LSU, Georgia, A&M, and probably, hell, probably Texas and Oklahoma even. You know, so you kind of have to do it a little bit different at Ole Miss. History absolutely supports what you're saying. Agree completely. Yeah, I mean, there will be some fans that push back against that. And I'm like, well, I mean, history history backs that up. It doesn't mean that it can't change one day and and you get to a place where you – but historically, they've not recruited tremendously well against those programs head-to-head. That's just a fact. And you're you're going to win some. I'm not saying you'll lose them all, but sure. just I'm saying consistently, it's that if you just want to go the high school route, you're going to be a lower tier SEC West program, and that's why I like what he's doing with the transfer portal. Cannot wait to see how that you know works in the long run because that is a, a giant mystery to us all. But I did want to ask you something, Neil, about Lane Kiffin specifically. I don't know if you had seen this or not, but um, in the new Athlon Sports College Football Preview magazine, my favorite section is the anonymous coach comments. And, and they have one on on Ole Miss, of course. And it in there, I, I don't remember it verbatim, but essentially the anonymous coach, who is an, uh, uh, allegedly an SEC assistant, says Lane Kiffin, a top five play caller in – I think he said modern college football or, or college football history, which I think you could probably, uh, you know, you can see where he gets that. Sure. But he also says he's been not uh, a disappointment. I don't think is the word, but not as not nearly as good a head coach. And I'm just curious without you, you know, with me butchering the comment there, your thoughts on that top five all time play caller, but, but maybe a little bit of a disappointment as a head coach. What, what's your thoughts on that? Well, I, I can only – I'm like you. I throw out 2020. Uh, I, 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 I really pay. And as we go further away from 2020, I pay less attention to it. I, I, I'm more inclined to just completely dismiss it, good and bad for everybody. Um, I, th- I thought the job that he did as a head coach in, in uh, 2021 with Matt Corral and those guys was was – was elite. Um, and then, you know, last season, like I referenced, the back end of that schedule was hard. Um, the defensive system that they ran made it to where you could run against them and teams did. They lacked some personnel. It's a, it's a total rebuild. He, he inherited, you know, a program that, I mean, look, Hugh Freeze burned it to the ground there at the end. People mm-hmm. people didn't get to see that because Matt Luke was the interim coach. But it was bad. Frankly, the job that Luke did in his interim coach year was was pretty elite. And then, you know, Ole Miss stuck with Luke a couple more years, you know, the rest. And, and, and so it just didn't really work. And the roster wasn't great when Kiffin got here. It's been a rebuild. The portal, frankly, has been a godsend for him because it's prevented him from having to do a rebuild. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. You know, you can't you can't give him credit for ten and two, and then not take some points away from losing five of their last six games last year. 
Um, there were some head coaching moments last year, and I've talked about them, where I, I questioned what the motivation was. Uh, the one that really comes to mind to me, and I'm convinced that they lost two games that Saturday night in Fayetteville. That game um, was 42-6, to six, I think, in the third quarter. You're not coming back from 42-6. to six. Mm-hmm. You're not winning that game. Um, you had a game in five nights. And the Auburn stuff was percolating and, and all of that was going on. And I don't, as, as of this moment, I mean, I know what I think, but I have people who I trust who tell me I'm wrong and I have people who I trust who tell me I'm right. So I don't know. But that night at 42 to six, if you're thinking about the program and you look, you beat Mississippi State, you go nine and three. Nine and three puts you in the Citrus Bowl or the Outback Bowl or whatever. I mean, a better bowl than the Texas Bowl. You're not coming back that night. A mature head coach in that moment, as hard as it is, looks across the sideline, across the field to the other sideline and essentially says, all right, Sam, I'm going to get you in Oxford next year, but tonight's yours. Why don't we get out of here? We play in five, you play in six. Let's get out of here. Instead, they had 98, I think, offensive snaps, chasing points. Yes, they lost 42 to 27, which sounds a lot better than 42 to 6. But it's still an L. Yeah. It's the same L, right? You weren't coming back to win that game. And that's the one moment that I'm like, you had to grow up as a coach right there. You, you and he kind of did it against LSU late in the game. They were getting beat, and and he he doesn't, he's he's hyper competitive. Um, like most great coaches. But man, there comes a point where you got to get your guy off the field. You know, um, Sam Pittman did this last year, that same Alabama game that we talked about. That game went from, hey, Arkansas's back in this thing to Arkansas's out of this thing, like in a hurry. And he left Jefferson in the game and Jefferson got hurt and Jefferson couldn't play in Starkville and they, they, they weren't competitive in that game. You sometimes do have to get your guys off the field. And he didn't do it. So that would be the only the only thing that I've watched in two years that I could really criticize. Mm-hmm. Other than that, I, I think he's done a really good job. He, he's absolutely an elite play caller. He, he's he's a genius offensively. No question about it. Mm-hmm. Is he growing as a head coach? Yeah, I think so. To, to a degree, I think he is. I mean, he's, he's, he's certainly more engaged in the program today than I think he was a couple of years ago. I, I think the truth is, Michael, that Lane believed when he got here that this would be a short stay, that this was a launching pad to a bigger job. Mm-hmm. And it almost was. And I think it could have been. I think the Auburn job was his if he'd wanted it. And ultimately, for whatever reason, whether it was because something changed, whether it was because of family, whether it was because Auburn didn't offer the kind of money that ultimately I think he wanted to get offered, maybe some combination thereof. He's not the coach at Auburn today. He's still at Ole Miss. And now I think he's starting to view Ole Miss as, hey, this might be a place where I stay a long time. And so there's a different investment level. And that's not a criticism. I get it. Some When I took this job at Rivals, if you had told me then that I would still be here 16 years later or whatever it is, I'd say, you're out of your mind. I mean, I thought two, two years, three years, I'll, I'll go get another, I'll, I'll leave, I'll, I'll cover somebody else. That's what I thought. I mean, I, you know, so I don't criticize Lane for that at all, but um, I, I don't know that I would say that he's done a, I, I would say he's done a really good job. Is he, is he an elite head coach yet? Well, clearly not because he hasn't won the big game. You know, I mean, you've got a, 
you you got to go down to LSU and win that game. You got to go to uh, to Tuscaloosa and win, or or beat them here. Like last last year was so much on the line in that game. You know, the fourth quarter got away from them, but it, it was just Bryce Young. You know, Bryce and and look, you're right. Bryce Young did do special things. He was the first pick in the draft. Mm-hmm. The Carolina Panthers could have picked anyone, and they picked Bryce Young. It's yeah, it, you know what I mean. You, I mean, so it's 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 to me. The last half of the season, everybody gets hung up on the Auburn part of it, and I'm not saying that wasn't a factor. I just think, I think, a, I think they they put so much into the Alabama game, lost it, had a hard time getting over it. The Auburn thing was out there. They went to Arkansas. The part that we don't ever give enough credit to is that KJ Jefferson and and Sanders and that offensive front that night were really really good, and it was senior night at Arkansas. It was it was it was it was their environment it was cold all mm-hmm. of that stuff and arkansas played really well we don't we don't ever give credit to the other part of it they played really well that night they were an average team that had a lot of disappointing losses and that night they kind of put it together for the first half certainly and they just blew Ole Miss off the field and there were some calls that didn't go Ole Miss's way and it was one of those nights where it was Arkansas's night and it wasn't Ole Miss's night. And then, like I told you, they just kept chasing points. And I thought they were tired against Mississippi State and they lost a super close game. Mm-hmm. Then throw the bowl game out. They didn't want to be there and Texas Tech did and you saw what happened. Yeah, and I was going to say to your point of, you know, maybe coming up short in the big games, we all live, you know, it's an instant gratification and, you know, it's one thing if you're, Chad Morris, and you, you can't win a damn game. I mean, we don't we don't need to give those people time, but clearly you see the strides that Ole Miss has made. And perfect example, maybe maybe not the perfect comparison because it's different programs and everything, but for years, Kirby Smart was a guy who could not win the big game. Yeah. Literally no one remembers that now because they won it twice. And, you know, where many people, myself included, think – He's probably the game's best coach right now. I mean, it's kind of hard to argue with a guy that's won two in a row. But three, four years ago, he was the guy that couldn't win the big game. So sometimes you got to just keep chopping at that wood and and change that narrative. Yeah, no, it's, it's a great point. I mean, he hasn't been here very long. If you if you kind of dismiss the 2020 season, and I do, he's only, this is going into his third year. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, had a, had a big season in, in uh, with Corral and those guys. And then last year, you know, he brought in Dart and, and Judkins and, and all of them. And they got off to a hot start and LSU popped them really good. But if they beat Alabama that day, who knows what happens? I mean, that game was a fourth quarter game that, again, Bryce Young won it. And it doesn't work like that. But I mean, you know, we have a tendency, as you said, it's, it's we kind of live in a hot take business. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, you lose a close game and it's, oh, that's the end of the world. That See, they suck. Win a close game. Oh, man, here they come. No, I mean, the <laughs> game was decided by a few plays, man. I mean, you know, th- th- there, wasn't a lot, there wasn't a hell of a lot of difference between a bunch of SEC teams last year. If you go back and look at games, mm-hmm. the Ole Miss-Kentucky game. I mean, think of how Kentucky's season is different if Will Levis just hesitates a beat. Well, they score a touchdown right there and they win the game. Mm-hmm. And they, they come out of Oxford, top six, seven in the country, Sky high. Instead, that loss kind of took something out of the sales from them. Um, you know, we could do this on a bunch of teams. Like, um, oh, I mean, Alabama. Say Texas holds on and wins. 
Say Jimbo calls the right play. They lose to Texas A&M. Suddenly we're talking about a four loss, a five loss Alabama. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, Arkansas loses the, the A&M game. Cam Little misses the field goal off the upright. Let that ball go, you know, an inch or so on the inside. And Arkansas wins that game. And instead of being super deflated that night in a way that they had a hard time kind of coming back from that, well, now they're they're rolling. I mean, that's that's one of the reasons we love it is that sports is look at South Carolina a year ago. I mean, they got thumped early a little bit, then they kind of lost some close games, and then at the end, man, they were world beaters. Yeah, they beat, they beat Clemson, they beat Tennessee, they you know they 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 looked they looked on top of the world at the end of the season. So. I, I just I just think there's so much hot takiness and and not enough in our field, not enough, hey, it's hard to win. It's hard to go from good to great, from good to really good, from really good to great, and then to stay great. To your point about Kirby, I mean, it's one thing to win it once, man. When you win it that second time like like you did, that's far more impressive because everybody's you everybody's got you in the crosshairs now. And you know, it's the great greatness of Saban, what he's done for, I don't know, two decades practically at Alabama. Is the Alabama game's a big game for everybody all the time, and so you always get people's best shot. And no, I, I think Kiffin's growing as a coach, and it's just, it's it's a hard league to, it's a hard league to stair step in. Yeah, and another great example. I mean, if Ohio State makes that field goal. Georgia didn't win the championship, and the year previous had Alabama's top two receivers not blown out their knees. I mean, Alabama probably would have beat them in the title game, and we're sitting here saying, and Kirby's on to, the hot seat. We're back, <laughs> doing, we're back to doing the Kirby thing. Exactly. I mean, I mean, it's it's hilarious what we do, and 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 yet, it. I mean, look at this. I mean, this year, I mean, we're doing the Jimbo thing, and yet you know what what's going to happen. Let's say that this is the year that they put it together in College Station, and they go off on some winning streak. We're all going to go, oh, Bobby Petrino, what a difference make. No, I mean, yeah, but the point holds is that he has recruited a really talented roster. I mean, the truth is, is if Jimbo got fired and they opened that thing up down there for a coaching search, as crazy as the place is, and with the North Korean band and. <laughs> Uh, the, all the stuff. There would be so many coaches that would look at that roster and go, "Sign me up." Neil, it, what what's going to happen if Texas wins the Big Twelve? God forbid they're a playoff team, and A and M goes six and six. I mean, they got to fire him, right? I mean, you yeah, cannot you cannot him. have the Longhorns coming in, the hottest team in the country, and we got Jimbo here with a top five roster going six and six. No, it's, it's like you said, and they've got some weird games early. A and M does. I mean, they, the Miami game that you talked about, the, the Arkansas game in, in Jerry world, which is always a super competitive game. And Arkansas circles that game, you know, mm-hmm. um, I mean, it's, you look at a and M schedule and I can get them to seven and five quick. No problem. Easy. They got to go to Oxford. Mm-hmm. I don't think Lane will be ready for Jimbo, do you? Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, and Jimbo will be ready for Lane, but someone's got to lose. And right. so, you know, I, I could get them to five losses quick. They play, they play at Tennessee. Yeah. Um, at LSU. Yeah, and LSU's going to want that game next year. because They that, can't beat Mississippi State to save their lives for some reason. 
Well, no, the Mississippi schools get them all the time. I always laugh at my buddies at Texags, and they're good people. I, I enjoy all of them, but they get so pissed off at the Mississippi losses. And I'm like, you guys ought to be, this is kind of, ought to be old hat to you by now. I mean, <laughs> I mean you've lost the Mississippi State and Ole Miss quite a bit. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it, this, this, these, these, uh, these scenarios should not be shocking to you anymore. And, and it's, you know, it's the part of the league that Texas and Oklahoma are in for a culture shock when they get there is that, you know, they're going to look at Kentucky and Missouri and Mississippi State and go, W, W. It ain't, it ain't like that. It's not like that. Nope. All right. A couple more things before I let you go. Uh, we, we've talked about a lot of SEC teams. We we did not really dive into LSU at all, and we didn't dive into Arkansas at all. Um, let's start with LSU. I, I just I'm not sure I see weaknesses. They're, they're, they're super talented. Jaden Daniels is back. Perkins is back at linebacker. Brian Kelly's second year. Typically, his teams are really good year two. Is there any chance that we're just overhyping them, or, or is this potentially a, a title contender? No, I mean, I'm, I'm on record. You know, this is my team to win the national championship, the oh. LSU Tigers. Wow. Year two under Brian Kelly. He came down to the SEC to win a national championship. I think he's driven to get there, and I mean, they stunned me. Uh, now they were not world beaters by any stretch last year, but you know they got it done um, in, in many games, and I think it's all the more impressive if you look at Florida State game. I mean that was a debacle for three and a half quarters. The Tennessee game at home, they just got whooped by Tennessee. Yet, never in a million years could I imagine the team that that lost those two games was going to turn around and win the SEC West. If they can just continue to build on that, uh, Mason Smith, you know, you said he's back. He, he, they lost him for the entire season. All the buzz was he's the best player on the team. They didn't even have him last year. But what who they did have is Makai Wingo right next to him, who was an All-American on the defensive line. You mentioned Harold Perkins. He's probably the best defensive player in all of college football. And they went out and they added an All-Pac-12 linebacker Omar Spates from Oregon State, which won 10 games. He was team captain. Put him next to Harold Perkins. I mean, the star power on that defense is incredible. And one thing I think uh, Jane Daniels certainly surprised me. I didn't realize how good he was. But it, just look across, you know, all of college sports. But year two, same system, quarterback returns, a talented quarterback. They take a big step. And last year that was Hendon Hooker. You know, and I'm not saying that Jaden Daniels is Hendon Hooker 2.0, but I think we'll see a big step in his production. And, and even if we don't, I think they got the best backup quarterback, arguably, at least the most, you know, the highest upside yeah. backup in Garrett Nussmeyer. Not Agreed. nearly as accomplished as as maybe like a Spencer Sanders or someone like that. But I think Garrett Nussmeyer could lead them as well to to incredible heights. They just added a running back from Notre Dame, really good digs who, of course, Brian Kelly's familiar with. Uh, that offensive line was a travesty at the beginning of the year. Two true freshman offensive tackles. By the end of the year, that unit was a strength of the football team. So, I mean, the coaching is evident. The special teams was a disaster. Thankfully, they fired the special teams coordinator. As long as they're not a disaster on special teams again, I'm right there with you. I mean, I, I don't know that they have a weakness. We didn't talk about Arkansas much at all. Uh KJ Jefferson's back again. Sanders is back again. They're good up front. Got to replace a whole lot at receiver. 
and they bring in a ton of new faces on on the defensive side, new defensive coordinator, new offensive coordinator. But Pittman's been there a while. He's got his quarterback back. Their schedule's not terrible. Not, they're not winning the West. Don't get me wrong, but they're one of the teams that I look at and go, well, you know, last year they could have been a lot better than they were from a record standpoint. They lost a lot of kind of close games. What do you yeah. expect from them? Yeah, to your point, they were two and four last year in one score games. That was the difference. Now, the year previous, they were two and two. So, you know, that's how you kind of go from nine wins to seven. But this is another one that's very hard for me to put my finger on because I do think KJ Jefferson is, in my opinion, he's, I think he's the best quarterback in the SEC. Now, does he have the weapons uh, aside from um, an outstanding running back room and led by, of course, Rocket Sanders, but they go four deep at that running back position with legitimate SEC running backs. They return over 92% of the rushing production. So could be a very prolific offense. Again, we, we got to see what we got with uh, some of these transfers at receiver. They had to do this last offseason, though, brought in totally reworked transfer receivers, and they had two guys, Hazelwood and Landers, that were in the top 10 in the SEC and receiving yards. So they have proven they can identify and plug these guys in. But it is a new system. And Kendall Bryles, say what you want about him. I mean, I think Arkansas fans are happy to see him go. I, I think that might be a mistake because I do got respect for Dan Enos. I think he's a good offensive coordinator. I don't think he's near as good as Kendall Bryles. And I think he could say the same thing at defensive coordinator no. Barry Odom. You know, all the biggest wins of the Sam Pittman era were essentially won because Barry Odom schemed up an outstanding game plan and it was executed to perfection, and that's now gone. But It's always I one do, of the first big questions, right, big test of a head coach. You don't really know until they have to replace coordinators, and so he's, he's replaced both. Right. The, the Bryles thing is interesting because he would do some really creative stuff, mm -hmm. and sometimes I thought he got too cute. Yeah. You know, there were there were some moments in in games where you're, you're watching them and you're like, well, it's working. And then they'll try some trick play kind of thing, and and it would derail what they were trying to do offensively. Um, and sometimes that's just what really smart offensive coaches do. They they fall in love with something on the blackboard and that we're running this. Or I'm, I'm running it. I gotta mm -hmm. run it. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know. Well, that that's interesting. All right, I've kept you way too long. Let's let's talk just real fast. It's a simple question about the SEC East. Is there any scenario at all, whether it's Tennessee, Florida, South Carolina, whoever, is there any scenario at all where the SEC West is at least up for grabs in November? SEC East, I should say. The only scenario where I see that, Neil, is if Tennessee is elite again, which I'm a Tennessee graduate, and not even I am convinced of that because – as your audience knows as well, last time we saw Joe Milton, aside from the bowl game, in meaningful action, he ran out of bounds with the game on the line. I mean, it was the stupidest play I've ever seen in, in SEC history, perhaps. That play, but, that game was drunk. It, 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 <laughs> throw it, nope, nope, throw it out. That game was totally trashed, man. That, by the time that game got to the end, it was, it was lit. Yeah, <laughs> that, game was, that game was walking around. It has no that game does not remember anything about itself that night. Yeah, yeah. So, nope. I mean, the only scenario I could see that happening is, I mean, this is crazy to say because it's, you know, this is the SEC. But I think Georgia, the way their roster is built and their schedule is laid out, 
the they play Ole Miss, which I think is a huge trap game because it's the week previous before going on the road to Tennessee. I think Ole Miss stands a shot of pulling an upset, but it is in Athens, so I'm not crazy enough to predict that, but I'm just saying keep your eye on that one. But I think we could get to a scenario deal where we don't know what we got at quarterback until the second to last game of the season, or at least they may think they know what they got, but they not truly been tested until they go up to Rocky Top. I mean, Tennessee would have to go undefeated, beat Georgia. I think that's the only possible scenario, and I don't, I think that's highly, highly, highly unlikely. So I think it will be Georgia, but another one to keep your eye on, I think Kentucky, I think that's a, the team people are sleeping on. I think they could win nine, possibly even ten games if we want to count the bowl game. The problem with Kentucky is they have to go to Athens, and they catch Alabama out of the West. So them winning the East is, is kind of inconceivable to me. But I, I do think they're going to be very, very, very good this year. I do too, and I think South Carolina is going to be good. I think South Carolina is going to be interesting to see whether they can kind of keep the momentum that they finished the season with. Can they go into the season with something resembling that momentum and capitalize on it? And I like Shane Beamer a lot. That'll be, that'll be interesting to see how he does. Uh, speaking of people I like a lot, I like you a lot. I appreciate you doing this. I uh, can't wait to see you in Nashville. I told you I'd be happy to come and uh, and talk to you at media days. And so I'd love to reciprocate at that time. Absolutely. Yeah. Can't uh, can't wait to see it. And uh, just a little plug for my show real quick. Please. We're doing fall camp previews right now. This is the perfect time. So we, we spend an hour plus on each SEC team. We try to do our own kind of like preview magazine obviously without the magazine. So we haven't done Ole Miss yet. We'll get to them soon. But uh, just something for your audience, if they want an hour straight of Ole Miss football, two lunatics talking about it, uh, be on the lookout over at That SEC Podcast. It's uh, at That SEC Podcast. You should absolutely add that to your podcast library as we uh, approach the football season and then the content's great year-round. Really appreciate you. I'm a big fan of your work. So uh, thanks for spending some time with us. Absolutely. Anytime, Neil. That was Michael Bratton of That SEC Podcast. Please do check out his work if you get a chance. Our great guy. Really appreciate him spending some time with me today on the show. Hope you enjoy the show. Again, this will be the Friday Oxford Exxon Podcast. Hope you all have a wonderful weekend, a safe weekend, and we'll be back with you uh, next week with another week of podcast here at MPW Digital. Uh, until next time, take care. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.